So if you'd stand with me, and I will read Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Jonah 3, 5 to 10. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 3 just for the context. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for, um, again, this book of Jonah and how it so clearly um, teaches us of your amazing compassion and uh, your concern for people, all peoples. Father, I pray that this morning you would open our eyes um, to our own hearts and to our community and uh, stir in us again a fresh heart uh, to see your salvation just spread throughout our community and, and into broken and hurting lives, uh, to see them changed by the wonderful gospel, the good news of Jesus. So we give this time to you that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I must confess that I don't care at all about professional basketball. <laughs> I have never watched an NBA basketball game. But, what's that? <laughs> but I must also confess that I have been caught up in Linsanity. Linsanity has captured the world, and if you're not aware of it, you need to re-enter the world. <laughs> Two times in a row on the front cover of Sports Illustrated the last two weeks. 
Ben and Jerry's ice cream has issued a limited edition ice cream, ice cream flavor in his honor. You're beginning to feel a little bit out of it, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Lin's, Jeremy Lin, his current popularity and marketability has surpassed that of every other NBA basketball player in two weeks. On the verge of being cut by the New York Knicks, he was given an opportunity to play because of injuries to several of their starting players. And in two weeks, went from being sitting on the end of the bench, about to be cut, to becoming their point guard, the leader and resurrector of their team and season. And amazingly enough, I just, I can't remember the details, but after months and months of an impasse between Madison Square Garden and the cable TV network because of the demand in New York to watch Jeremy Lin play, they came to an agreement. In the midst of it all, Jeremy Lin is an outspoken and gracious representative of Jesus Christ. This is a quote. He's an evangelical Christian who was a leader in Harvard's, he's a graduate of Harvard in economics, the first basketball player from Harvard to make it in the NBA. He was a leader in Harvard's Asian Christian, Asian American Christian Fellowship during his time there. And he credits his NBA success to playing without pressure. And, and this young man in the last three weeks has been under phenomenal pressure. At the All-Star weekend, this last weekend, he was inserted after the choices were already made because of his popularity. And normally, during the press time, everybody is involved together. But what has only been done for David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, he was given his own conference room, his own press conference, where over 100 media interviewed him. So he attributes his success and being able to handle the pressure to this. I've surrendered that to God. I'm not in a battle with what everybody else thinks anymore. Man, isn't that good? He hopes to become a pastor who can head up a nonprofit organization either at home or abroad and has talked of working in inner city communities to help underprivileged children. I was going to give him a call to see if he wanted to. <laughs> Isn't that a great testimony? It's great. Three weeks ago, I attended the quarterly Tri-County Workforce Development Council um, with Sheila, of which I am a member. During a presentation of Pathways to Successes, work among young people, 
the following story was shared. A young man came out to his parents, okay? You know what I mean? He came out to his parents. And the result was horrific. Immediately, these parents, who were called Christians, kicked him out. But that did not suffice. They proceeded to destroy all of his possessions and burn all of his identification papers. Social security card, driver's license, ID, everything. It seems in an attempt to eradicate him and his memory completely from their lives. Since they had homeschooled him his whole life, uh, and I'm not against homeschooling, we did homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Daniel, he's not too bad. He's not homeschooling. <laughs> Um, since they had homeschooled him his whole life and seemingly their homeschooling more intent on indoctrinating him rather than truly developing him he came to pathways to success virtually unschooled and unable to function in society well after this presentation it was just a few minutes later that one of the members of the council came up to where I was sitting and and, uh, and where the gal who had shared the story was and, and livid over what he had heard and the treatment of this young man publicly, loudly railed against the right-wing fundamentalist Christians who are such a blight on our society. That's a horror story. Um, isn't it amazing the difference between those two scenarios? Jeremy Lin, and what happened with this young man. Well, such things constantly trouble me and cause me to seriously ask the question, what does it look like to represent Jesus Christ? And what should it mean to call ourselves a follower of Jesus? Shouldn't it make a difference? That would be a yes answer. The answer is yes. <laughs> and to be honest, that's what I love about this book of Jonah. As we come back to Jonah, because Jonah repeatedly, beginning with the sailors and then with Jonah himself, and now as we come to the Ninevites, repeatedly puts before us the miracle of salvation. The miracle of salvation, it shows that true belief and true repentance are truly miraculous and make a real difference in the lives of those who truly believe and truly repent. And, um, and so it's a great book. And that's what we're going to look at this morning again as we come to Jonah chapter 3. And, and it's so important because I think it's easy for us to forget the miraculous nature of salvation. I think it's easy for us so often for our Christianity to deteriorate in, into kind of a morality or a, a moral reformation that, we, that needs to take place, making good people better people, rather than a supernatural transformation 
making us new people, different people, radically different people because of something miraculous that God is doing, has done, and is doing continually in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and by rising from the dead. Something miraculous. And, and I think that even though you're probably not totally in touch with the world because you didn't know about Jeremy Lin. See, I'm trying to help you out on Sundays, okay? Um, that I'm sure all of us are aware of the hard and horrible events that have happened in our community this last week, right? It's been a rough week. Um, I was looking, uh, you know, on my source of news, Google, um, yesterday, and it's not just our community. Seattle, the beginning of this year, has had triple the number of homicides this year in two months that they had in the same two-month period last year. And so more than ever, just coming through this last week as a community, it should be easier for us to recognize the reality of evil around us, shouldn't it be? <laughs> the world that we live in and the, and the evil in our world that requires not just making good people a little bit better, reforming people, but truly the need of transformation to make us new people. And that's what we're going to see in Jonah. So look with me at Jonah chapter 3 that we read. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to kind of just work our way through in understanding this miraculous nature of salvation. But for us to do that, the first thing that we need to see is the Assyrians themselves. As, as we come to Jonah chapter 3, it's, it's to the city of Nineveh that he comes. And it doesn't tell us here, but, but from history we know that Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, at one time, it was, during this time. And the reputation of the Assyrians and their empire was one of ruthless wickedness. This is the people we're talking about here. This isn't, you know, some people that are helping old ladies across the street and just need, you know, their lives ship shaped a little bit. These are the Assyrians. Uh, just to give you a little background, I want you to turn to the book of Nahum. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Okay, so after Jonah... Micah Nahum. If you're trying to find a name to, you know, name your next child, it could be this. Nahum. If you look at Nahum, um, page 652 in these Bibles, chapter 1, verse 1, notice the prophecy is concerning Nineveh, okay? So this is... The book of Nahum is being written to the Ninevites, and it's a prophecy against them, a prophecy of judgment. And I'm just going to pick up in chapter 3. We're going to look at just um, chapter 3, 1 to 4. Woe to the city of blood. This is speaking to the Ninevites. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses, jolting chariots, charging cavalry, 
flashing swords, glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses. It kind of gives you an idea of the these kind of these people, these Assyrians. All because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. That's the Assyrians. Here's a brief little historical example because I want you to get who these Assyrians are. Asher Nasparal II, he was the king of Assyria from 883 to 859, a little bit before the time we're talking embarked on a vast program of expansion, first conquering the peoples to the north, then conquering the Arameans, the Neo-Hittites, between the Kabor and the Euphrates. His harshness prompted a revolt that was crushed decisively in a pitched two-day battle. And following this victory, he advanced without opposition through Syria, Asia Minor, and as far as the Mediterranean, exacting tribute from Phrygia and Phoenicia. Unlike any before, the Assyrians boasted in their ruthlessness with regards to their enemies. It's the Assyrians. And Nineveh was the royal city. This is where the king the man himself, the, the most ruthless of all Assyrians, lived. And as we continue on here in Jonah chapter 3, we need to understand, and this is what I want you to get, this is the, this is the Assyrians, but this is what each one of us need to understand also about ourselves. In Jeremiah 17.9 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And if we're going to understand the miracle of salvation that happens here in, in Jonah chapter 3, but also if we're going to understand the miracle of salvation, if it's going to happen in our lives and the lives of those around us, we've got to understand that the, the miracle of salvation must begin by understanding who we are, not just the evil around us, but the evil inside of us. So the Ninevites, ruthlessly wicked. What is Jonah's message to them? Look at, look at here, Jonah chapter 3. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah begins... A day's journey proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You know, if I were to start by saying, talking about the ruthlessness of the, the Assyrians, we've got to follow it up by talking about the utterly wacko-ness of Jonah's message. And this is crazy. He's walking through the royal city of the most powerful empire of the time, and they're absolutely, ruthlessly wicked. That's what they're known for. And strolling through this city, he says, 40 more days and you're going to be thrown, overthrown. You're going to be wiped out. You're going to be judged. I, mean, I want you to imagine what that would be like today. It would be going to Tehran, 
Iran, the, the, the capital of Iran, and walking through it with your Bible saying, you all are going to be destroyed because of your sin against God. I mean, sounds a little wacko, doesn't it? Or, or strolling through Moscow, Russia, or Beijing, China. I mean, we're talking the capital cities of countries that are in absolute opposition to the gospel and boldly proclaiming. It's a little crazy. Now the expectation you'd think would be that Jonah would, if, if, he, if things were good, would be just, you know, the ridicule, ridicule of the talk shows, you know? Everybody making fun of him, this crazy, loony guy with a little, you know, few screws loose. But if, but if it was the worst, I mean, cor <laughs> tortured and tortured some more and then executed. And that's the message that we're called to give in, in this world in which we live. Boldly proclaiming that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and, and for, for people's lives to truly be transformed, it's not just, eh, come on, you know, try harder, be a better person, help some old ladies across the street, but, but understanding that we all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God and it's only by God's grace and through believing and repenting in Jesus that we can be truly changed and, and, and transformed. That's the message. And we, we, we should ask ourselves, how, how would people that don't want to believe that, I mean, the Assyrians, I guarantee you, weren't eager for this message, weren't waiting for Jonah to show up, any more than people today want to be told that they're sinners, separated from God, and, and aren't the good people that they thought. But something astonishing happens here in Jonah chapter 3. And we're familiar with it, but I think we forget the miraculousness of it. That, that this ruthlessly wicked people, when they're boldly, when boldly proclaimed to them as this wacko message of destruction and judgment that instead of mocking him or murdering him, they repent. I mean, that's miraculous. <laughs> that's miraculous. I mean, look at, look, let's just read it here. It says, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. Why would they do that? A fast was proclaimed. I mean, that's, that in itself is incredible. I mean, among a, a pagan empire that was known for its revelry and its feasting and its, its, it, its, a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, this is the king, the ruler of the most important, powerful empire, ruthless empire at the time. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, Instead of declaring that this guy would be imprisoned and tortured and murdered, he rises from his throne, he takes off his royal robes, he covers himself with sackcloth, and he sits down in the dust and ashes. And he makes this proclamation. 
by the decree of the king and his nobles, no one taste anything, no one eat or drink, but let everybody be covered with sackcloth and let everyone call urgently on God, giving up their evil ways and their violence and hoping that maybe this God who has brought this message of judgment to them through this wacko prophet would somehow have mercy on them, would, would relent and show them compassion, turn from his anger, and they'd be spared. Isn't that amazing? Do you see that? that that's miraculous. This isn't a Boy Scout, Girl Scout club that he's talking to. This is the Assyrians. Wicked, ruthless empire of the world. And then we see God's response, verse 10. That he sees and he responds by relenting and showing compassion and not bringing on them the destruction that he threatened. But what I'd like us to kind of just wrestle with here briefly at the end is, is the question, why? <laughs> why? Two, two, really two questions. Why did the Assyrians believe and repent? Why? And why did God relent concerning the destruction that he threatened? Why did the Assyrians believe and repent? I want you to turn with, you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, would you? Matthew 12, first book in the New Testament. Matthew 12, 38. And we see this referred to by Jesus. Matthew 12, 38. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Show us, you know, do a trick. Do, do something that uh, will convince us that you really are who you say you are. And Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation, meaning the generation that was there when Jesus walked the earth, and will condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And something far greater than Jonah is here. Why did they, though? Why did they repent? What is this sign of Jonah? I, I want to just speculate for a little bit here. Number one is it would have been kind of a sight for this guy to show up, don't you think? Number one, the... The, the digestive juices, remember we, we talked about this a couple of weeks, the, the, the work that the digestive juices of this fish in its, as Jonah was in his belly for or her, I don't know, was it his or her, uh, the belly of this fish for three days, the impact of those digestive juices, the suggestion is, is that it would have probably, not only would it have totally stripped the hair off of his body, no hair, that it would have probably changed the actual color of his skin. 
So that as Jonah begins his journey through Nineveh, he's kind of like a little bit of a freak show as he's walking through Nineveh, raising questions and making people wonder and giving him opportunity to tell his story and, and why he's here and what happened and, and how he didn't want to come and, and now why he's there. Um, it's also possible maybe that word had spread from the sailors whose lives, in fact, a lot of commentators believe that that was a part of what made the difference in Nineveh, is that the sailors themselves spread the word that reached to Nineveh of the miraculous story of this guy that they threw overboard. And then the, the storm stopped and they were spared. And then this guy shows up in Nineveh. Or maybe somebody witnessed uh, his vomiting out of the, sh the fish and, uh, and went to Nineveh to tell the story. What is it that caused these pagan people to repent and believe at such a message of condemnation? You know, history records some interesting events around this time. Uh, during the reign of Asherdan III. In, seven six, in, in 765, there was um, a total eclipse of the sun. And excuse me, in 765, there was a plague. In 763, there was a total eclipse of the sun, and, and again, another plague in 759 that makes us wonder if God used these things, which to the ancients were signs of God's judgment preparing the way for Jonah to show up this discolored guy that had been vomited out of a fish and to the city of Nineveh, bringing his message of judgment. It's, it's speculation, but the, the, the point is this. The wicked Ninevites <laughs> repented at the arrival of a wacko prophet because they saw something. <laughs> They experienced something miraculous that caused them, these pagan, wicked, ruthless people from the king on down, to repent at the message of this prophet. Salvation is miraculous. Salvation is supernatural. They saw somehow, like the sailors did, when, when the storm arose and then the storm was calmed, and like Jonah, who was cast into the fish and then was miraculously spared by God and finally his eyes were drawn back and he remembered the Lord and his eyes were drawn to the temple where they saw a holy God that in some way caused them to see themselves as unholy people deserving of this judgment that this guy was proclaiming in a way that it humbled them in a way that they'd never been humbled before and caused them to plead with him for mercy. Salvation comes from the Lord. I don't know what else we can get from looking at this book of Jonah. And, and we look at the story of the sailors and Jonah and now these Ninevites. Salvation comes from the Lord. But just one more question before we, we conclude. So... So I think why they believed and repented has got to be God supernaturally exposing to them who he was and who they were. 
But why did God relent? Why would God have mercy on such a wicked people, the enemies of his people, the Israelites? Well, Jonah gives us the answer in Jonah chapter 4, and we've looked at it before. I'll just read it again. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, he says, he prays to the Lord and says, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, because I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. I mean, the miracle of salvation and, and God's relenting and God's forgiving is because God is a gracious and compassionate God. Because salvation isn't about us becoming better or us doing good things or trying to be good people. But it's about a merciful and compassionate God having pity on us, people, sinful people, separated from him in the midst of a society that's so separated from him. And we see the consequences, and we've seen it graphically this last week, but it's there all the time. The miracle of salvation is a compassionate and gracious God that cares about sinful people and reaches out to them. Nineveh is called a large city, a great city. And, and it's like God's compassion is drawn to this royal city, the city of the enemy of his people, this ruthless empire, and wanting to reach out to them. God's a gracious God. But I think it's one more than that. It also demonstrates God, God's compassion to his own rebellious people. Just one more verse here. If you fl flip back to 2 Kings, it... Daniel read this way back at the beginning when we started Jonah. But it's a good reminder. 2 Kings 14, page 263 in this Bible. 2 Kings 14.23. Listen to what it says here. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, reigned 41 years. And this is during the time when, when, when Jonah, the, the story of Jonah happens. This guy, this king, Jeroboam, was an, a wicked king. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, verse 24. He did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam I, the son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. And yet, look at this. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. But this is what I want you to see, the next verse. It says, The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Jehoiada. Even despite the wickedness of this king, it's like God's heartstrings were tugged at. His compassion towards his people in the midst of his, his, their wickedness. And, and through Jonah, proclaimed to them how he would prosper them and expand them. And I believe as we look at the story here and the response of the Ninevites, not only Joseph, Jonah's message to his own people, 
but his sign to the Assyrians that brought about their repentance and this time of prosperity, and, or you'd say reprieve to the people of Israel. 41 years of reprieve from these Assyrians and their ruthlessness. Interestingly, it was just two years after Jeroboam died that this, year, this time of reprieve ended. There was two quick successions of kings, about six months each, and then the following king, Menahem, was invaded by the Assyrians, and the reprieve was over. But kind of for this short period of time, this sign of Jonah, just a display of God's compassion, both to the Assyrians, God's, Israel's enemy, and, and to the Israelites themselves. Isn't that amazing? Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And just one, one more little glimpse we get, as, you know, as we read in, in Matthew there. Um, this sign of Jonah became to the Jews of Jesus' day a sign to them of the death and resurrection of Jesus. God's attempt to just, in a sense, open their hearts up and through Jonah's story, open their eyes to Jesus. Providing just a glimpse to them of this Old Testament type of Jesus who would be their Savior. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's how chapter 2 of the book of Jonah ends. Jonah says, salvation comes from the Lord. And that's what the whole story is about. But I, it, it's about God changing spiritually dead people into spiritually alive people. You know, that's what it says in Ephesians 2. We're dead in our sins. God makes us alive. 2 Corinthians 4 says we're blind and God opens our eyes. Salvation is of the Lord. But again, just kind of going back to the beginning, I think it's easy for us in the midst of a society where conformity reigns over convictions. You hear that? Where conformity, trying to, that we're all the same and, and, and you know, and, and where conformity reigns over convictions to fall into the thinking that, you know, maybe everything will work out for everyone. You know, God's just going to kind of come to the end and say, well, you know, everybody's really pretty much okay and they've done their best and they're, they're trying to be good people and, and heaven will be ours. We just need to be the best we can. And, and I know that it's easy for us to fall into that thinking, just to be good people. Forgetting that the gospel is about being supernatural people. Because salvation comes from the Lord from the beginning to the end. So what does this mean for us? Just two things to conclude. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe what I've been talking about is kind of like confusing to you. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. I just want you to clearly understand that the only way you can have a relationship with Jesus, become a child of God, is supernatural. 
It's not something that you can work your way to. It's not something that you can pay your way to by dropping money in an offering plate. It's not something that you can, you know, achieve by helping old ladies across the street or showing up on Sundays. You can't achieve it by yourself. Like the pagan sailors and like Jonah and like the Ninevites, it will only happen by your eyes being open to seeing God as a holy God and you as a sinner separated from him to where you cry out to him like the Ninevites and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he does it. He changes your heart. He'll open your eyes and he'll make you new. And he'll do it just like he did to the Ninevites because that's what he delights to do. And Isaiah says, God longs to be gracious to us and he longs to be gracious to you. But you've got to realize that it's his grace that does it. That we don't deserve it and we can't do it. It's supernatural. And then if you're here this morning and you know that you're a child of God, I, I just want to, maybe you're tired of me saying this one more time, that salvation is supernatural. It's so easy for us to fall into this trap of just trying to be good people. Just like everyone else. And we forget that we are who we are. If you're a child of God here this morning, you are a child of God because of what God's done in you. And as a child of God, you have all the privilege, all the power, all the promises, all the provision of what it means to be a child of God. And that's amazing. So why are we... Let's cease just trying to be good people. And we should be good people. I'm not saying, don't go out and be like those parents. But more than good people, we're being called to be supernatural people. People who represent the God of this universe. And representing Him, people will be drawn to see who they are that they aren't just good people that are okay, but they are separated from him as they see him in us and they're drawn to him in us. They'll be compelled like the Ninevites to cry out and say, how can I be saved? How can I know the Jesus that you know? Oh Lord, save. Oh Lord, work in me. And maybe... Like the Lord's Prayer, we will begin to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, make us a people that demonstrates your miraculous salvation. Let's pray. Father, you are such an amazing God. And the salvation you offer us in your son Jesus is so amazing and, and we are so undeserving of it. And, and there's nothing we can do Oh God, open our eyes afresh to your grace, to your power, to your compassion that wants to continually change us and transform us so that before a watching world, a hurting and a broken and a, and a wicked world, we might bring the light of the gospel of Jesus in, in a transformative way that makes a difference. Thanks. Jesus' name, amen.